holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Vaya mano y el remate a gol de la Cassé. 1-0 Arsenal, la Cassé. Marca el delantero francés. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly afternoon. Yes. I think it is. Think, goodly afternoon. I, I mean, I think in the grand scheme of things, I don't. I don't mean it to be like goodly in the sense that you know a man, a man has lost his job. We're not. We're not. Um, we're not uh, sort of celebrating that per se. But I think for the football club and for the team, hopefully, this is a, a goodly afternoon on the way to a goodly weekend and perhaps a goodly few months and a goodly future. This, that's where I'm coming from with this. Yes, I mean we lost a football match yesterday, so I suppose you know it's in that in that respect. But as much as we are not celebrating a man losing his job, let's be clear: we are also celebrating that a man has lost his job. Yeah, okay, we are, but I mean it's not it's not personal. I don't mean it to be personal no, no. or or anything like that. I just think that this is a decision, obviously that's that's overdue. But look, first and foremost, we learned our lesson. We learned our lesson from uh, previous um, recordings when it felt like we had been dumped in it by decision makers at Arsenal halfway through a a recording. Mm -hmm. They do something and then all of a sudden what we've done is completely and utterly um, redundant. So this morning when the news via David Ornstein broke that he was going to, Unai Emery was going to be sacked by Arsenal, we we sat on our hands, um, in so many words, and waited until the, until the deed was done before we started recording this podcast. Absolutely. Very sensible of us. And might I say, I think I deserve some credit for this turn of events because in recent weeks, there have been a lot of messages from people on Twitter and stuff saying... James seems very healthy. Everything mm. seems to be going very well in James's life. He seems fine. Nothing problematic is occurring to him. And as you know, earlier this week, yeah. I destroyed my laptop in an act of flagrant vandalism by pouring a latte into it. Okay, no, um, hang on. Let me just stop you there. What kind of a latte? It was a decaf latte. There you go. That's what you get. That's <laughs> what you get for decafing your latte. What is the point? What's the point? It's like drinking, well, you know, alcohol-free beer. It's pointless. But what if it's after 4pm and I want to make sure I get my sleep? Then have a hot Don't chocolate. have a latte. Yeah, I, you're fair. You're fair. Have a hot anyway, and apparently it's the milk that's the big issue. The milk is really what... I mean, water's quite bad for a computer, but milk's awful. Mm. Anyway, it was, you know, an unfortunate incident and one that cost me considerable amount of time and money <laughs> but it was all worth it it's good now that you've moved on a little bit from personal injury 
you know, which is which is something that mm. I, you know, all of our listeners, of course, are, are very wedded to and, and hope for on a regular basis, because obviously there's a, a very um, deep fundamental connection between Arsenal success and you hurting yourself. But, you mm. know, from your perspective, you know, the pain and the anxiety and the, you know, the, the, the itchiness and all the things that come with that, that's not good. So now the fact that you can um, you can have the same impact, but via inanimate objects, I think this is a step forward for you, James, and I'm very happy for you. Thanks. Thanks, Andrew. That means a lot. <laughs> so how, how do you feel uh, this afternoon? I feel relieved, mm. I have to say. I feel relieved because, you know, um, as we've spoken about on the podcast and as I've been writing about on the blog, I think this is something that has been overdue by by quite a number of weeks, um, if if not more. So, you know, right now my feeling is um, relief that finally we, we've done what we should have done. We definitely should have done it before the international break. And, you know, we've thrown away a couple of Premier League points um, in part because of that. You know, mm-hmm. I don't... Um, I don't harbour any ill will or ill feeling towards Unai Emery. You know, he came in, he tried, he did his best, it wasn't good enough. And that's kind of it as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's not like he he's um, absolutely uh, taken the piss or not tried or, or whatever it might be. You know, I, 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 I wish him well wherever he goes next. And... It, I think it's just part and parcel of of modern football and modern football life now that we're a club that is going to deal with managers. We have to get used to this because, you know, whatever comes next, it might not work either. We have to be prepared for that. Of course, we all want it to get better. Mm. But, you know, I just feel relieved that that we can now start to move forward because we've been going backwards. We've been going backwards um, and it's been tough and it's been depressing. It's been disheartening. It's been hard to watch. It's, you know, all the concerns and, and um, worries um, that I've had, not all of them, some of them still exist, but, you know, a, a lot of them are because, you know, I want the football club to do well. I want the team to do well. I want us to succeed and to to get back to where everybody wants us to be. And that's where the frustration has come from. So my overriding feeling this morning is relief. What about you? Yeah, same really. Relief that, you know, we're not sort of trapped in that situation talking about the same thing after every single game. And I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned here for the club, you know, from the way they went about the appointment and the fact that ultimately the appointment wasn't the right one. And I think there are lessons to be learned about the end of this manager's tenure as well. You know, we are not a club used to hiring and firing coaches. And I do feel that that has uh, impacted and impeded the speed of us arriving at this decision. Um, and, And it is late. It is late. It is belated. It will. It has cost us more points, more matches than it needed to, and it's cost some of those executives maybe more goodwill yeah. than it needed to. Yeah. Um, so I hope lessons are learned there. I mean, it seems it's been in the works for uh, at least a week, really, uh, from what David Ornstein's saying. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm glad that it's done now. And if anything. And I know people don't have a great deal of sympathy with him. I'm sort of relieved for Unai Emery as well because mm. I was at I was at the Frankfurt match last night, and you know it, it, the the doom was palpable. And 
uh, it was not a particularly pleasant experience to be there. And it's been like that for a few weeks, really, at the Emirates Stadium. Now. Yeah, it has. And you could see on his face and um, you could see from his demeanour that he, even if, as David Ornstein said, he, he wasn't aware that it was going to happen, um, you know, he, he's not... He's not a stupid man, so he knows um, that the performances haven't been good enough. He knows that results certainly haven't been good enough, and mm. it can't have come as any real surprise to him. So, yeah, look, I think for him as well, you know, um, I think lost in the mists of time and what have you is the um, is the fact that I think for the for the most part, um, we all wanted Unai Emery to be a success. Oh, yeah. There was a time when we were looking at the things he was doing, um, things which over time perhaps became frustrations for us. We looked at them and we looked to take the positives from them. You know what I mean? The the tactical mm-hmm. changes, the halftime substitutions. You know, I remember very clearly having this sort of midway through his his tenure, it started going, you know, we started saying, well, look, he's not afraid to change things if it's not going the way he wants. And we saw that as a really positive thing. And then it became more of a question of, well, if he's having to make the halftime changes with this frequency, does that not suggest that he's struggling to get things right in the first place, you know? So mm. oh, it's a question of um, time. Things have developed over time and the, the frustrations have grown over time and and everything else. But I think from from his point of view, you know, it's it's probably a relief as well because he must have been feeling the pressure and he must have been feeling like a bit isolated, a bit alone. Um, you know, when you're in a dressing room and you're trying to elicit performances from players and, and they're just not doing it on the pitch because, you know, there's no way that what we've been doing on the pitch is what Unai Emery would want any football team he manages to do, right? No. That's not... That's just not within the realms of possibility or, or uh, realism. So each week he, he tells his team to do certain things or he wants his team to do certain things and, and the fact that they can't and are getting worse and worse each week, it must be a, a horrible feeling for a manager knowing that your message is just not getting through no matter how hard you work. Absolutely. And I mean, what did you make of the performance last night against Frankfurt. I mean, it, it, to me, I, I just looked at that and thought, these players are kind of done with this coach. Yeah. Um, that was the only way you could interpret it, I thought. Yeah, I mean, we didn't have a shot on target in the second half. You know, there were flashes and little moments where you could see what I think Arsenal should be about, some of the exciting young players and, and some of the... There was one, like, amazing move in the second half where we worked the ball, you know, down the right and it ended up with Chambers being offside. But that's the kind of football that mm. we should be seeing on a on a weekly basis. We should be seeing that four or five, ten times a game, that kind of drive and ambition to the way um, we, we get the ball forward. But, you know, it was just another one of those where, you know, we went ahead... We're never more brittle than we're ahead. We conceded twice in quick succession. And after that, you know, there was just there was just nothing left. And it was a real end of an era performance from from that group of players. Um, mm. Remember, we talked about Lacazette and not celebrating. Yeah. Um, last week against Southampton, there was a moment where I think it was for the second goal, actually, and Mesut Ozil was closing down the guy who was about to take a shot. And I think if you look at the replay, it's almost like it occurs to him, well, if I block this shot, 
they might not score and then this might not come to an end. You know, uh, that's me projecting, of course. But mm-hmm. it, it's it's the kind of action that happens when a team is is on its last legs. And this team has been on its last legs for weeks and weeks and weeks. Mm. And what a backdrop for it last night as well. I mean, it couldn't have felt more sort of apocalyptic, yeah. really, like an end of an era stuff. And, you know, I mean, I know there are a lot of reasons that ground was half full last night. And, you know, obviously the ban for the Frankfurt fans are massive. Look at you with your optimistic hat on, half full rather than <laughs> half empty. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be me. But um, I do think that, you know, that does speak volumes and and the empty seats did for Arsene Wenger to an extent and I think they you know it was not full against Southampton at the Mm. weekend and I'm sure that contributed uh, for Unai Emery too I mean fans had grown quite disenchanted so many people I knew just couldn't really be bothered to go to the game last night and I do have a real sympathy with that you know I mean certainly as I walked there in the rain the thought crossed my mind why am I doing this (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah I, I, it, I'm just glad that it's done. I would say that uh, for me, it doesn't completely absolve you know those who prevaricated and delayed in making this decision. I think it, it could have happened sooner. It should have happened sooner, and that would have been healthier for the club, for mm. everybody concerned. Um, you know, my overriding feeling is, like you say, relief and excitement. As well, you know, this is one of the most exciting times to be a fan of a football club because you've got that blank slate, all those possibilities are open to you, you know, and we can have that belief, which we haven't had for so long, mm. that things are going to get better. Yeah, potentially. You know, I think there are there are wider issues and we might discuss those in, in a few minutes time. Um, but I wanted to just sort of weave in some questions into this. And we've one here from Tony McPartland, who, who's at Tony McPartland on Twitter, who says, uh, hi, guys, was there a clear turning point where it all went wrong for Emery? Or is it just that he was never the right man? For me, it was the 3-2 home defeat to Palace last season and our subsequent missing the open goal of of Champions League football. And I have to say, for me, the end of last season just set off so many alarm bells. Um, It it really, really did. The fact that we just took seven points from our last seven games, we missed out on Champions League football the way we did. And, you know, whatever about the Europa League final, that was was annoying and that was painful. And to lose to Chelsea um, and lose comprehensively was, was obviously bad. But I think for me, the the way we blew the the top four last season, just um, I think I was never able to get over that failure. I guess when mm. it came to to assessing Unai Emery, and you know, I'll, I'll admit I was I was willing at the start of this season to give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, the mitigation of it being his first season, and of course, you know, another transfer window in which he could bring in some players that that he wanted to bring in. But for me. That was um, that was a good chunk of why I, I felt like uh, his his time here was not going to end well. Definitely a massive factor. I mean, one of the things that occurs to me about Unai Emery and where it all went wrong for him is, you know, I think it's kind of death by a thousand cuts. I mean, there are so many issues here that have kind of undermined his management of the club. I mean one I can't look past and it's one that was associated with him as at PSG is his individual man management. And we've spoken on this show about how many different players have kind of been involved in, yeah. you know, friction 
potentially with the manager uh, and, and that goes all the way back to you know his start at the, at the club and the decision with Aaron Ramsey not to extend his contract and then the fact that Ramsey kind of came back into the team I mean all, all that stuff it all feeds in uh, clearly since the spring and since Ramsey to be honest we have been really bad and he's been unable to arrest that but I think there are so many different reasons for me as someone who was so behind the idea of a new manager and really energised by it, I think what I find it difficult to look past is the, the way in which he sort of has folded points of principle so many times. Yeah. And, you know, going right back to the first half of last season, you know, Meza Ozil was out of favour, Aaron Ramsey was out of favour. Uh, and granted, results kind of dried up after that 22-match unbeaten run around Christmas time. And when he needed something, he turned back to them. And in my eyes, the way that he sort of folded there massively undermined his authority. And I think it must have undermined his authority in the group too, because suddenly he became this figure who, you know, what he says, you don't necessarily believe. And yeah, I, I just think that since then, really, it's felt like someone continually trying to kind of close a gap or make up a deficit and it's all felt a little bit desperate yeah um and i think unai emery would probably say oh you you know you haven't seen the real unai if you don't stick to your guns then it's very difficult for us to know you know what is the real unai emery. yeah i think as well look if we're being completely fair here we always knew that whoever was going to follow arsene wenger was going to mm -hmm. have a really difficult job right um, I see a lot of people sort of tweeting stuff like, well, this is what you get for getting rid of anger and all that kind of stuff, as if as if that wasn't the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. Arson uh, had stayed too long and it was time for Arsenal to make a change. The fact that this particular change didn't work you know, doesn't mean that it was wrong to, to move on from, from Arsene Wenger. And I think, you know, in the background, there were obviously things going on. There were power struggles and, and all that kind of stuff going on with, you know, Gazidis leaving, then Mislintat leaving and Raul taking over and, you know, just the general seismic change that was going on at Arsenal uh, as a football club. Like you mentioned, the Ramsey thing and the, the contract. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that would have been... I don't think Emery is the one who said we should withdraw that contract offer. You know, I, I, no, I, I. I really don't think that. I think he's had a lot of um, issues to deal with, um, some of them of his own making, some of them not. You know, you, you mentioned the authority, and I think that was a, a very big one. He had this ongoing, or still, well, still, he doesn't anymore, um, because Mesut Ozil has outlasted him at the football club when it looked, you know, completely absurd that that might be the case um, mm -hmm. some time ago. But, you know, it is, yeah, the authority of a manager coming in and picking a fight or picking, um, you know, trying to trying to uh, display his authority via uh, an altercation or whatever you might call it with the, the team's biggest star. Maybe he was absolutely justified with that. But like you say, going back on it... Um, was probably the start of the undoing of him in terms mm. of, you know, the way he was perceived in the dressing room. Because, you know, if you're going to be an authoritarian, be it. But you can't be it one day and not be it the next day because then everybody knows it's just a, a fake, a facade and, and what have you. So, you know, I, I think he's done his best and his best 
wasn't good enough. And I don't think really, I never got the sense that he was quite the right man for the football club, regardless of the fact that we were going through change. Mm. I don't think he connected with what Arsenal should be or wants to be and even the stuff when they they hired him to say he'll build on the platform that Arsene Wenger put in place and you know all that kind of stuff he never really displayed a true understanding of that to me because I think genuinely the fans would have been a bit more patient with I won't say similar results but but iffy results if there was more ambition to the way that we played the game and I think you know that the the cautiousness was something that really got irritating very very quickly yeah I think you're right and personally I I would have loved the football to be a bit more expansive but but I do think you know the point's been made to me recently by a few other people that Arsenal do have a history as a team who were a bit more defensive and and, you know in the 80s and early 90s that was very much the identity then and people were able to get on board with that at that time and I think if we were doing that well effectively it would be a different kettle of fish I mean you know, Emery was kind of undone by the fact that he was pragmatic and cautious, but our defence was still mm. bad, basically. Yeah, it was, and it remains bad. <laughs> it yeah. really does. Um, yeah, I'm just sort of laughing to myself as I think of Socrates at the moment and a player who's... Yeah, anyway, I don't. no need to get into in, in, individuals uh, at this point. Um let me ask you this. Are there, over the course of the 18 months that Unai Emery has been in charge, any positives that you would take away from him, his performance or his appointment? I think there were some definite highlights and it's easy to forget them now, you know, with things being the way they are. But if you look back at last season, you know, some of the wins in the bigger games were really encouraging. I think, you know, the 4-2 over Spurs is the one everyone cites, but we had good home results against uh, Chelsea, against United. Uh, the, the win away at Valencia, I thought was a, a fantastic night. Mm. Um, but, you know, they're isolated matches, really. Uh, aside from that, I mean, I do think, you know, young players have had an opportunity under Emery, whether that was uh, a consequence of his own initiative or a necessity, you know, uh, due to the makeup of the squad. But somebody like Genduzzi really, really believed in him and gave him that chance. This season, we've seen bits of Willock, bits of Saka. Um, I think in the in the years to come, we might reflect positively on the fact that they first got their opportunities under Emery. Beyond that, not really. I mean, mm. I think he leaves us... I think we're a worse team now than we were when Arsene Wenger left. Yeah, I find it hard to disagree with that, you know. Yeah. Um, and the fact that under Wenger, the decline was slow and steady, wasn't it? Whereas with Emery, it seemed to happen pretty rapidly. And mm. I think it makes it feel more... More, more marked. I don't know. Uh, it just—it's like microwave decline, you know. Yeah. Rather than twenty-two years, it's happened in you know five or six months. So it's more intense, I guess. I mean, what I would say is, do you remember last uh, Christmas a year ago? I we... gave you my heart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that one. Um, no, we did a song together, <laughs> you and I. Yes. Uh, here it is, Emery Christmas. And I remember 
last line of Emery Christmas was, uh, not sure we've played that well, even when we've won. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it was true, right? You know, yeah. we had the 22 game unbeaten run, but results uh, were markedly better than performances. And I don't think it was wrong to encouraged by that because the thought there well you know we're getting results even when we're not playing well imagine when Emery ball clicks into gear imagine when he's got the right players we'll we'll be flying uh, and sadly that just isn't what happened at all so although it has happened very quickly it's difficult to pin down a protracted period of time where we have actually played well under Emery yeah I think that's fair I think the the 22 game unbeaten run was uh, goes back to what I was saying earlier about how we as fans were looking for for positives and it was mm-hmm. a case of well we're winning, we're getting results, we're not being beaten, what more do you want? And if you raised some concerns at that point about the level of performances and the stats and the underlying metrics and the fact that we were outperforming XG and the opposition weren't scoring um, the, the, the chances that they would be expected to score, it suggested that at some point there was going to be an equalisation. You know, we were going to get found out. And that that was the case towards the end of the season as our performance levels dipped. So, you know, I think some of the positives that we we might look at from the early part of Unai Emery's reign were in some way down to goodwill from Mm. the fan base. And look, 22 games without losing, you can't... Well, we just have argued with it, right? But um, I think football nowadays... And the way that football works is it goes beyond the results. It has to, because there is all this information out there. There's all this data out there that tells you um, more about uh, how a football team is performing than just the results do. So look, anytime my team goes 22 games without losing, you know, you can be happy with the results, but also at the same time share concerns about the performances and, and what it might tell you about the, the longer-term prospects of the club. And and those those statistical chickens came home to roost. Yeah, and I think as much as I would say, you know, there's things for the club to learn from this appointment and this tenure generally... I think it's fair to say there's probably things for a lot of fans to learn too. You know, I mean, I barely remembered a managerial appointment at Arsenal, certainly not in my adult life. Mm. So, you know, going through that process and sort of understanding the the enthusiasm that's engendered and, you know, how that can all shift. I mean, it's it's... It's a learning curve for many of us, let's put it like that. And I I suspect whoever the new man is, if they get a few sneaky wins here and there, Mm. I'll I'll be on that train too, you know, thinking, here we go, this is it. But that's, you know... Isn't that the point of it, though? Isn't it that, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about, you know, for months now is just having nothing to believe in and nothing to Mm. get behind. And that's what a new man will give you, whether it turns out in the long run that 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 faith or that belief is is well-placed or misplaced. Only time will tell, but that is part of it. It's like, okay, that's that didn't work. Okay, let's move on. It's not the end mm. of the fucking world if a manager comes to your football club and doesn't work out. You know, that's ju- it's just not something that that's within the experience of um, many Arsenal fans um, who have, you know, for for generations grown up with one man in charge. Mm. You know, so 
I, 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 you know, the, this idea that was going around and it was something that was said to me that, you know, the club itself were, they didn't want to be seen as the kind of club that would just sack a manager willy-nilly as if this was some kind of, this was some terrible thing that you could do to a person rather than it just being, it's business, it's a job. And if a guy's not doing his job or he's not performing to the level, then you get rid of him. I mean, they do it with players all the time. The minute a player is deemed to be expendable, they're generally gone. You know, mm. unless you fucking land yourself with ones you can't get rid of because you're paying them way too much or, you know. But it's just another business transaction. Um, I think you made um, you made a good tweet about this because you were comparing it to, to Wenger a few weeks back. And somebody said it was, you know, it's just business the same way as it was with Wenger. And you said something along the lines, well, with Wenger, it was a divorce, mm. you know, whereas this, this had none of that. The roots weren't in the ground. Yeah, you know, absolutely. The relationship yeah. had barely been consummated. <laughs> no, you're right. And the, the attachment wasn't there. So it, it does, for us, I think, the supporters feel more clinical. It should be easier for the club. And the other thing is that we've all been... Uh, you know, sold this idea of a, a new structure where it, theoretically sh- sh- moving a coach on or bringing one in shouldn't change that much, mm. shouldn't cause great disruption. So this will be the test, won't it, of that structure? Um, yeah. Certainly. Yeah, it will. I mean, some thoughts on how long it took to make this change and, and maybe what it is. I mean, we did it on the, the podcast on Monday, didn't we, where we said, what's your faith in in the, you know, in the football executive committee in Raul Sanyehi and, and those people? And I think in, in some ways they've been taken a bit by surprise by quite how marked this decline was and, and how quickly it's happened and how how rapidly supporters have lost faith with what's going on. Um, there were suggestions they were willing, you know, to let it go for another couple of weeks, but have come to the conclusion that that they need to make the change. So, mm. yeah, I yeah, I have some worries about this, which I might touch on in the the second part because we're going to be asked questions about who and when and why and all that kind of stuff. But you know, do you do you have any sort of further thoughts from Monday? on Raoul and um, and that cohort? Uh, well, I mean, the story going around via David Ornstein and a few others is that Arsenal went to America last weekend and that this has been coming for about seven days. The decision was made before the Frankfurt match. So I suppose that's a little bit of mitigation. I think a lot of people would say it's still late, you know, and, and I, I don't really understand. We went through the international break with Unai Emery at the helm. Um, you know, Spurs made the change then. It was an appropriate point to do it. I don't know why we didn't. And it does trouble me. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, they have at least done it now. And of course, they're going to be judged by the appointment they make, aren't they? I mean, this. you know, Ivan Gazidis was the guy who led the recruitment search that led to Unai Emery. He's no longer there. The next man will be very much their man so yeah you know they need to uh, get it right i mean the problem as we sort of have implied earlier on in the show is that most managerial appointments don't work do they certainly not in the way that you know we want them to mm. 
Yeah, I mean, it is. It's going to be a big test for Raul and um, Edu and this football executive committee and what have you, because this is well and truly their, their appointment. I do think that, that uh, Sanyehi was very strongly behind the appointment of Emery, even if it was um, when Gazidis was the CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's there's a way for him to hide behind that. Um because, you know, Gazidis was that guy and he's gone now. So it is well and truly on, on Raul. Uh, I think we'll, you know, talk about the other candidates in, in part two. But in the meantime, we have Freddie Jumberg as the interim coach, which allows Arsenal to take their time to an extent to find whichever guy they think is going to be the right guy in the long term. It may even prove to be Freddie Jumberg. Who knows? But what what are your thoughts on on what Freddie's got in front of him? And, you know, we all have this romantic idea that he might come in and be the head coach and be the guy that we all need. Like, you know, our own homegrown Pep Guardiola kind of figure who comes, um, you know, from the from the B team or the youth setup or the the under twenty threes or whatever it might be, and and becomes the head coach and is successful at it. But you know, even leaving that long term romantic ideal aside, he's got a really difficult job on his hands now because he's taking over a team with no confidence, no form, um, which is probably like any team um, a little bit shell-shocked when a manager goes. Some of them, I'm sure, will react very positively to this uh, because they weren't necessarily on board with what Emery was doing. But it's still a big task for a guy with no first-team management experience to to turn it around. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what he does. I mean, he's got no staff either, let's not forget. I think four or five members of Uno Emery's first-team staff have left the club today. So Mm. uh, that's the situation he needs to amend very quickly. I'm sure they'll do that with some internal appointments. Um, But yeah, I'm excited, obviously, to see what Freddie brings. I mean, ever since he was... Uh, move to the first team coaching squad this summer we've talked about the prospect of him potentially being a manager one day and you know he's fully qualified we don't need to worry about that he's got all the badges you know so there's no yeah. sort of administrative issue Th- that's a good point isn't it because there were some suggestions that he didn't have the required license to be a head coach if we decided to to give it to him no he's done his homework so uh i i think that from from what we hear from the club, they rate Freddie incredibly highly. They definitely regard him as someone who they want to be part of the the setup moving forward. Um, and I guess a lot of it will depend on what he's able to do with the team. You know, we've seen, haven't we, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Manchester United, uh, that sometimes a caretaker spell doesn't necessarily mean that's the person you should go for. Uh, but if he does spark an upturn, then... Fantastic. I mean, look, we mm. as fans, we'd love to see one of our someone, <laughs> one of our own, but you know, someone who we really associate yeah, yeah, yeah. with Arsenal. Well, he is one of our own. Come on, it's game. Freddie. Yeah, yeah, it's Freddie. I mean, he's just tweeted there twenty minutes ago as we're recording this, and he says, "However long I oversee Arsenal for, I will give everything." I have to put smiles on faces again. We have a busy few weeks ahead, and the team needs your support. Let's get to work. Um. Mm. You can feel like that message will resonate far more than Unai Emery this week, for example, calling for supporters to get behind the team, you know, which, yeah. you know, was a 
look, I can understand why he was doing it. It was a desperate situation and he was looking for as much support as he could, but, you know, it had gone too far the other way. Whereas that, I think, will will resonate with people. Um, I mean, when you talk about him being one of our own and they want him to be involved, do you think, do you think that will perhaps have an influence on their thinking when it comes to whatever long-term appointment they might make? How do you mean, do you mean he might go for someone who's maybe more experienced that could work alongside Freddie for a period and sort of groom him for the for the big job eventually? Mm, yeah, but also somebody with with that Arsenal connection. Potentially. Potentially. I mean, I, I think that as much as Freddie's really highly regarded, there must be a bit of... Um, a feeling internally that this has come quite soon for him. You know, I mean, he's been with the first team for, what, a few months and now suddenly he's running the show. Yeah. Um, maybe it's sooner than ideal. I guess we'll kind of find out, won't we? Because we'll we'll see what sort of response he manages to engender from the players. I kind of feel that if he is such a big coaching prospect, there is a degree of risk, isn't there, in kind of giving him the keys at this stage. You know, you if he is a potential Arsenal manager, you want him to be an Arsenal time when he's absolutely ready and there would be no shame in him not being ready today given the relatively limited experience he has. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, how often has it happened where a player, for example, has an opportunity, it, it just opens up for him? Think... Ashley Cole, who was a hugely talented player, but had Silvino not had that passport that he'd made up on, you know, his own Microsoft Word, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know, Ashley Cole's pathway to first team football might well have been blocked. Of course. So there's a there's an element of timing with with things like this where, you know, we we um uh what was I gonna say there? I was totally sidetracked by uh, something that just popped up on my screen, which was uh, just a story about Frankfurt fans, by the way, um, from from Andrew <laughs> Allen, in case anyone gets the wrong idea. Um, but yeah, you're right. There is such a thing as a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. There is such a thing as mm. that. Uh, and this could be that. I was going to say, like, you know, people talk about Guardiola, people talk about Klopp and how we missed out on them. But, you know, in in... in uh, in those circumstances, maybe the timing wasn't right because Wenger was still at Arsenal. You can make the argument that Arsenal themselves could have said goodbye to Wenger and taken one of these more highly rated coaches. But, uh, you know, that's the reality that sometimes um, timing plays a huge part in a, a player's career and also a coach's career. Mm. Yes, certainly. And look, it's a fantastic opportunity for Freddie. And I can't imagine it's one that he hasn't thought about. You know, he's he's not stupid. He's seen what's going on at the club in the last few months. He must have thought there's a possibility here that I have, need to step into the breach. And I'd lo- I can't wait to see what he's got planned for us. What do you think? Back yeah. three? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Back three. Urzel dropped again. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm really curious. I think yeah. um, there was a tweet from George Bird who does the mm. 
who does the the Arsenal youth stuff, obviously on on Arsblog News, and he uh, he's up watch the under twenty threes and watch Freddie. Um, where is that thing? Uh, boop, boop, boop. I can't find it. But basically, people ask him what kind of a what kind of a coach Freddie is, and let me just see if I can find it here. If I can just bring up George's timeline, but it says like plays out from the back. You know, we'll argue with officials, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, a few people have asked what, what Jumberg is like as a coach. Likes to play out from the back. Midfielders making dynamic runs. Lots of pressing. Always very encouraging of players during the game. Argues with officials a lot. So, you know, if he can introduce sustained and consistent pressing mm. to an Arsenal team, I'd be well and truly on board with that. You know, play it out from the back. Again, I don't see anything wrong with that as long as you can do it properly. Midfielders making dynamic runs. Wow, what a thing that would be when you consider how how static and how um, almost non-existent at times our, our, our midfield has been under Unai Emery. So, you know, given the, given the footballing education he got as a coach um, at Arsenal, while Wenger was still there, as a player under Wenger, I would be very surprised if his outlook wasn't a considerable amount more positive and attacking than Unai Emery's. Yeah. I spoke to uh, a couple of the young players who played under Freddie uh, for a piece I did about him, Cohen Bramall and uh, Julio Plegazuelo, and they raved about him. And one of the things Cohen Bramall said, I was just finding it then, he said, uh, your pass had to be precise. You know how Arsenal play, but with Freddie, everything had to be perfect. Finding the pocket on the half turn, playing high, rotating at the right time. And just that thing of... The precision of the passing, the weight of the passing. I mean, that was Arsene Wenger's obsession, you know. Mm. And it seems like Freddie has carried that with him into his coaching career, as you would expect. It's only natural that he should. So I think there'll be a bit of excitement in the squad, to be honest, about working with Freddie for lots of different reasons. Number one, you've got that whole contingent of academy players who worked with him before and clearly feel that real affinity with him because he's a good communicator and he was a successful coach with them. Then you've got all the attacking players, people like, you know, Aubameyang, Lacazette, Ozil, Pepe, who might think, here we go. Maybe we're going to get off the leash here. Yeah. And then you've got just the new manager bounce to inject into proceedings as well. So, you know, we go to Norwich on... I was dreading that game. I honestly thought we'll be lucky if we get anything there. And Norwich aren't a particularly great team, but I just thought away from home, no chance. Now... I'm buzzing, to be honest. I'm buzzing to see how they do. I'm buzzing to see the team he selects, you know, the way we set up on the field, the, the style of play. And just to see if those players play, I mean, it's a cliche, but with a smile on their face, because that has not been present for a long time. No, I mean, I think the players need something to believe in as much as we do. Mm. You know, I, I know people say, well, you've got to look at the players and their part in, in Emery's failure. And that might well be true. Maybe some of them haven't played as well as they could have. I think that for the most part is true. I think, you know, I've said this to you more than once, that I think the players that we have are capable of far more than we've seen. And I don't really think it's a case that they've 
they've downed tools. But when you're working in an environment where you don't believe in what you're being told, we saw it at the end of the Wenger era as well. You know, Wenger as one of the greatest managers in world football, you know, somebody who players wanted to come to Arsenal to play for even at the end, you know, of his of his tenure, at the end of his reign. You know, even he couldn't motivate players once he'd lost them. Once that dressing room stopped listening to him, we saw what the impact was on results. And and they had, um, and I'm, I don't mean this to be critical of um, Emery in any way, but I would say that the Arsenal players who underperformed, uh, the team that underperformed under Wenger, they all, to a man, respected him in a big, big way because of the kind of man that he was, because of the way he protected them, because of his achievements in the game. Um, I'm not sure that the Arsenal players at the moment would have had quite the same respect um, for for Unai Emery. Nevertheless, mm. even with that, the players under Wenger kind of gave up. You know, so when that happens, when that happens, there's, there's just no way a guy can turn it around. Um, and we've seen that over the last few weeks in terms of performances. So, yeah, I think they, they'll get on board with Freddie. And I don't know how long he's going to be in the job, how long he's going to last. But like you... I'm actually looking forward to an Arsenal game again because the last few weeks, maybe the last few months, I really haven't. Mm. I haven't looked forward to watching us play. I felt conflicted and that's an awful way to feel about the football team that you support. And, you know, I'm... I'm glad we've got something different on Sunday and I'm excited to see what he does, how he does it and what the what the impact might be. It might take him a couple of weeks, but like I just feel I feel like he will understand the way that Arsenal should play football and I think that's something we can get on board with. Yeah, and look, fundamentally he's someone who we have a relationship with and there's going to be a lot more uh, I don't know love for him just from day one you know mm. you know, Emery could have put out that tweet you read out earlier from Freddie Umberg and I think people would kind of collectively shrug their shoulders but it's Freddie Umberg you know mm. it's someone who we want to succeed desperately and I know we did want Uno Emery to succeed but this is a, a different case and I think yeah, for however long he's in the job, he will have the backing of the fans because I think there's a sort of collective sense that it can't be any worse than what we've had so far this season. Yeah. I mean, in, in fairness, there was an element of that when, when Arsene Wenger left, wasn't there? Well, it can't get any worse than this. And look... We, and, we, and we were wrong. <laughs> yeah, we were wrong. And it, it, it did. Um, well, and it might, but like that is... That's the, that's the fucking whole point of sport as well, isn't it? Like you can't confidently predict that you know this is this is exactly what's going to happen. You're you're along for the ride, and the ride could be enjoyable. The ride could be terrifying. The ride could be dull and lifeless. Mm. But all you can do is react to what's going on while you're while you're being ridden, if you like. Absolutely, and you know maybe this is all necessary as well. You know maybe it getting a bit worse before it gets better is part of the process of moving on from Arsene Wenger. Uh, and maybe in the fullness of time, we'll see it as a, a thing we had to go through to get where we wanted to be. Mm. Um, certainly, certainly it feels like that. You know, it, it just, 
it has been tricky, but it has only been 18 months of our lives as Arsenal fans. So now we can look forward optimistically. Glasses half full. Yeah. Wipe the slate clean and we go again. Exactly. All right. Let's take a break. Um, we'll come back with some of your questions and more in part two. I mean, most of the questions are, who's going to be the new manager? Um, but we'll I, tell you in part two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no spoilers. What? Yeah, no spoilers. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back after this. One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog and on the Arsblog Discord server, which you get access to if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon. Um, let me go with this one, James, first. Mm. This comes from Ed Wilson, who's at Ed underscore Wilson 87. He says, how much faith do you have in our current board to replace Emery with the right man? And board you know, can be, you know, the people running the football side of the club, just as a short way of putting that. The noise suggests a Mendes-like candidate that'll override all of our long-term future fan engagement and style of play. It's quite worrying. And just tied into that one, this is from FPL Blackstar, who's at FPL underscore Blackstar, who says, thank God the pain is over. With new candidates in mind, why do you think Nuno is getting a bad reaction from fans? He's a great communicator, Playing style has Premier League experience and done a fantastic job at Wolves. Has hints of Spurs nicking Pochettino from Saints, he says. Mm. Well, I think that one of the reasons that people are concerned about Nuno, uh, because I was surprised at the strength of the reaction, a lot of people were very unhappy about that link, is his association with uh, Georgie Mendes and, you know, that kind of super agent world. And obviously... You know, we've spoken about Edu's links with Kia Jarabchian and and Kia and Mendes have an association, having worked together in the past. And I guess there is a a fear that the club will get kind of enveloped uh, in that sort of business. But um, it's a really tricky one, that, isn't it? Because it's a, such a double-edged sword. You know, on the one hand, mixing with those people might get you the players you want or the players you need or help you get deals done. Mm. On the other, you, you end up slightly at their behest. So, yeah, I think it's a tricky one. What do you what do you think about Nuno? I I don't want him mm. for many of those reasons. I think 
I think Wolves, he's done a good job at Wolves, no question about it. But I think he's been given a, a playing squad at Wolves that Wolves shouldn't really be able to have, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because of the connections to Mendes and the, the players that he's brought in, the deals that he's done, et cetera, et cetera. I think the other thing to consider, and you know, you might you might say I'm an idiot or I'm I'm delving into the realms of conspiracy, but who is George Mendez's best friend? Uh Mourinho. Yeah. So <laughs> are, are we going to give control of our football club and our transfer business because make no mistake if you have a Mendes appointment as manager Mendes is having a very significant role to play in your transfer business and your recruitment right Mm. so are we going to give him carte blanche to bring in the kind of players you know that he wants so he can move players through Arsenal Football Club and take all those agents fees while his best mate is manager of Tottenham down the road that no, that doesn't sit right with me at all, at all. So you know, I think Nuno has done a good job at Wolves, but I think the Mendes connection, the Mourinho connection, the 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 way that it would um, dictate our recruitment over the coming years, I think, is something that I would not want for Arsenal Football Club, and that's mm. that's where I would have serious concerns about Nuno. Do you want the good news? Sure. Literally, as you were just talking, I've had a text that suggests that that's probably a red herring, that one. Uh, Okay. That's, you know, if you don't want Nuno, I don't think we're going to get Nuno. Okay, that's good. Well, I'm happy But, I I mean, I would, I mean, it seems almost pointless to say it now, but the only thing I'd say is I've weirdly have quite a lot of mates who are Wolves fans, and so I've paid a bit more attention to them than I otherwise would. And I do think... There are some really positive attributes in him as a coach. I know he had a tricky time in some previous jobs, but he is a, mm. a great figurehead for that club. And I think I think he'll get a top job somewhere. I just don't think it'll be at Arsenal. You don't worry that he might be a little bit Marco Silva, maybe? Maybe, maybe. But, uh, you know, uh, he'll get a good job because he's got a good agent, ultimately. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. So, you know, he'll turn up somewhere, but I, I, yeah, I don't think, I think, I mean, look, it's interesting. There was all that talk about Mourinho. It ultimately didn't come to anything. Talk about Nuno. It ultimately looks like it might come to nothing. What's mm. the common link there? It's come from an agent who who might be in the interests of that person to put the story out. So, yeah. I, I think we, yeah, I think we can take it with a pinch of salt. Maybe so, but I mean, I do think there is a connection between Mendes and Raul. Oh you know, yeah, let's, yeah, let's yeah. not be blind to that either. It's not just Mendes having a laugh or anything like that. Um, so just back to the original question, leaving um, Nuno to one side. Then, mm. what is your faith in this setup to make the right kind of uh, appointment? Honestly, it is. I have more faith in this set, the the setup that replaced. Arsene Wenger and there are a few reasons for that one is the presence of Edu um, the absence of Ivan Gazidis and there are other people within the club of increasing influence people like Jason Rosenfeld or maybe even Per Mertesacker who might be consulted at least in this process and I'd like to think that between them we can arrive at a a good decision I I, Mm. 
yeah, I, I'm relatively optimistic about that. What about you? Um, I'm I'm not quite as optimistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to be, but I'm just not able. I think you know the last few weeks have shaken my faith in 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 those upstairs. Um, I do think that there's perhaps a little bit too much power with Raul Senyehi and not quite as spread out across this committee Mm -hmm. as we might like. But I don't know. What can you do about that? We'll wait and see. I think where, where, you know, we said earlier on, there's no hiding place now. No hiding place for this appointment. Whatever appointment Raul... Sanyehi makes this is a Raul Sanyehi appointment. You know, the club will, of course, dress it up as, you know, we believe that he is the right man and we, you know, we went through due process and did our due diligence with with all these various candidates and we have decided. But ultimately, Sanyehi is the head of football. And, you know, while the Cronkies have to green light uh, whatever appointment comes next, they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue as to who would be a good man or a bad man or, or anything else. No. So they can only work on the advice of the the experts, if you like, that they've put in charge of their their investment, which is Arsenal. So it's going to be a very interesting one, I think. Um, it is super interesting. And, be- I, and What way do you yeah. think they're going to go? Because Emery was a safety first appointment, right? Mm-hmm. I think we... We understood that. Do you think they might be inclined to go down the same road again? Just with somebody who they consider more of a safe bet? Or do you think there's sort of the foresight or the insight or the gumption at Arsenal now to make the kind of decision that maybe people aren't necessarily on board with at first, but which comes from a a place of conviction that they have this, mm. you know, real belief in whichever candidate it might be that they could take us forward. Because, you know, think about um, George Graham when he was appointed Arsenal manager. He was manager of Millwall. Now, Arsenal weren't doing great, but still the idea that Arsenal were going to appoint the Millwall manager, regardless of the fact that he was a former player, raised eyebrows. Think mm-hmm. about Arsene who. Who is this Frenchman? What does he know about English football? Said Tony Adams. Remember, you know, at the time, I don't know how well you remember this, but uh, if I remember correctly, there were three names doing the rounds. I think Terry Venables was one of them. Johan Cruyff? The other was Johan Cruyff. Yeah. And then it was Arsene Wenger. And I remember at the time being so on board with the idea that Johan Cruyff, this incredible player, this guy who did such incredible work at Barcelona, not only, you know, as a manager, but, but, um, you know, in terms of the, the style and the ethos of the football club and the way that they would play football, you know, he had this seismic impact on that football club, you know, this Barcelona, and you're thinking, wow, Johan Cruyff at Arsenal, that would be fucking amazing. And instead, we went for Arsene Wenger. And 
I think it would be fair to say that there were people who doubted that appointment. In time, though, it proved to be the right one. It was a risk. It was brave. It was left field, as almost as left field as you could come. This was a guy who came from Japan. Um, and I just wonder if within the names mentioned right now, there's a candidate that they see that kind of potential in rather than somebody who, yeah, he can come in, he's managed, you know, a couple of clubs and done all right. He'd, he'd be able to guide us to relative safety. Well, is that candidate Freddie? Would it, be my question. It could be Freddie. It could also be Mikel Arteta, mm. who I know, again, people have would rightly have concerns about because he's never managed a team in his life. Right? I I get that. I understand why people would be sceptical of that kind of an appointment. I have to say, it's one that intrigues me. I'm not saying Arteta would be the, the next great Arsenal manager. I'm just looking at the names out there, and I find him a really intriguing prospect. Arteta? Yeah. Hmm. I do too, and I, I've said that for a while now. I think that he, I think he would be my number one choice. Actually, um, I know he's not managed <laughs> a senior game before, but I just there's something about his character, the people he's worked with, the reports you hear about his work at Man City, um, the fact that they're considering him as Pep's successor. Frankly, if he's good enough for them, he's good enough for us at the moment, and. Yeah, he would figure pretty prominently on my list. I suppose the slight the tricky thing is, if you appoint Arteta, and A, I think we don't really know how interested he would be in that job and how badly he took not getting it last time. Um, but B, what does that do to Freddie to bring in someone roughly the same yep. age? Yep. You know? I, I guess so. I mean, it's one of those... It's one of those... Um questions that they're going to have to they're going to have to think about um yeah look it's it, i look i mean what else do you think of the candidates out there pochettino i don't think there's any realistic chance of pochettino becoming arsenal manager i, I know people say he's a, a really good coach and he's available do you not think there's something intrinsically dangerous about appointing a former tottenham coach as arsenal coach because Maybe he won't be given the kind of time or or leeway that he might need simply because of his connection with that club. Do you think people would be willing to overlook the five odd years at, at Tottenham and the fact that he said he'd rather be a farmer than ever manage Arsenal? I just don't see how that would work. No, I, I don't think it will happen. You know, Pochettino, from what we hear, is a pretty clear on this. He said he would never manage Arsenal. He would never manage Barcelona. And I would, ex I know it's football, but I would expect him to stand by that. And look at George Graham's experience. He crossed the divide, went the other way, and I think he had a tricky time at Spurs. And you're absolutely spot on. The, the goodwill wouldn't be there. And it would only take a couple of defeats before people would bring up his trophyless trophy years at Spurs. And, you know, all those doubts would creep in. I think he's a great coach. And now that he's not at Spurs, I can say it freely. But I don't think he would come to Arsenal and I would understand maybe the board's reticence uh, mm. there. Uh, yeah, so that's, I think, maybe one off the list. Who who else is being talked about? Allegri? 
Yeah, I mean, we did this on... Was it Monday we talked about this? Allegri just doesn't do a lot for me. and I, It's sort of so subjective, uh, but it doesn't light a fire in me emotionally. I know he's got a great track record. Um, yeah, I can't really explain that. It's just a sort of gut feeling. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, because you look at his track record and it is... It's pretty incredible, um, you know, particularly at Juventus, uh, the years he spent at Juventus, um, yeah. uh, you know, but like it, not saying Serie A was a one horse race, but it kind of was. Um, so he's won lots there. I don't know what his record was like at, at Milan. Um, did he win anything? Let's uh, see. Not sure. Not sure. But I mean, obviously. Uh, Milan, I mean, uh, obvi- he did win Serie A in twenty. 20- 11. It's an outstanding record, Andrew, so maybe I'm stupid. I know some people will be shouting that into their (laughs) (laughs) phones. Um, I I don't know if uh, the communication issue, you know, I think Amy Lawrence has said, written in her piece today, that, you know, his English a year ago certainly wasn't at the standard you would hope for. We talked about this on Monday where I asked James Horncastle. He said, you know, it's not great. Um, Azim Ali, who's at Azim underscore Ali on Twitter, says, should decent command of English be an important criteria uh, in choosing the new head coach? I mean... I think it probably should. I know people like Pochettino have come into clubs and worked through interpreters and done okay. I just think in the way that sometimes a, an appointment is kind of a response to what's gone wrong with the last manager, we do need a communicator. Yeah. And I think the fans need it as much as the players. And uh, yeah, English would be a prerequisite for me. Um, mm, not too. in any sort of jingoistic way. It's no, just no, no, no. I, I agree. Just a, a practical way. It's simply mm. practical, you know, for a coach to come in and be able to talk to to the players, talk to the fans, talk to the media, and express themselves um, fully. You know, mm. I, th- I think probably Emery has suffered a little bit because of that. And I've always said here that I thought his... His decision to come in and speak English from day one was both admirable and brave because it's not easy and it's it's very difficult to speak in a, a second language um, and you, you, you sound, you don't have the range of vocabulary or expression that you do in your native tongue unless you're you know, absolutely fluent in, in that language and that takes years and years and years. Right. I mean, even Arsene Wenger's English improved over the years um, while he was at Arsenal. So I just think that from from a communication point of view, when it is so important, I think we do need somebody who isn't going to endure the same kind of problems, whether it's via translators, whether it's via stilted media interviews or press conferences or whatever it might be. You know, I think it's part of the bigger picture. Like, we have to get something to get on board with. And, you know, a really talented coach might be a really talented coach. But if we can't, if he can't talk to us or if we can't hear him, then, you know, that makes him the wrong man at the wrong time. You know? Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's absolutely fair. Well, what about a candidate who does uh, speak fluent English do you think there's any chance of Brendan Rodgers no 
I don't I don't think so. Why would he Well, he probably would leave Leicester, wouldn't he? Because you know, even yeah. even as even as poor as things are right now, Arsenal are a, a club with much greater stature than than Leicester. We're not a better team than them right at this moment in time, but as a club, uh yes, and and um Rogers would certainly I think he would, you know, turn over his own mother to get to a bigger club if he felt it was the right thing for his career, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, you know, I'd find it hard to warm to right. him just on a personal level. But as a coach, he's done done very well at Leicester. He's got that team playing some really excellent football and... I don't know that we can afford to be that snobby. <laughs> um, just because I don't like someone's face is not a good reason for Arsenal to give them the job, if that makes yeah. sense. Do you think he's a good coach? I think he is, yeah. I think yeah. he is. It was it was never really, really about the his coaching ability. Um, although I do think his, his time at Liverpool was slightly... Um, I don't think it was quite as good as people said. Right. You know, um, it, it's really been about personality for me. Um, you know, and this is a guy who has, yeah, just just personality, really. I find it very hard to warm to him. and um, But as a coach, I think he, he's, he's probably decent, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have to say, I, I really like Brendan's work as a coach, I think. Brendan, like he's my friend. Um, Unky Brandy. Uh, Unky Brandy. I, I think he's, uh, you know, an irritating character at times, but a good manager. Now, I don't see him leaving Leicester, certainly at the midway point of a season. Um, well, he left Celtic just before they were winning nine in a row or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Like he would. Like he'd push his kid off a cliff for a step up. That's wrong, isn't it, to suggest that he would murder his own children? <laughs> I just mean that he is, you know, he is an so ambitious guy. So I get the feeling you don't, you don't want him, you don't want him. I mean, the, the, the trouble is, you know, some people don't like him. I I don't especially, but I really think he's a good manager. So, I, you know, he would definitely be on my shortlist. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's anyone else in the Premier League. Not, not, so, not really. People will talk Eddie Howe, but I don't think that's realistic. Um, I mean, I think you you start looking abroad then, and if you're looking at summer appointments, then there's Nagelsmann and there's Ten Hag and those guys, which is why maybe somebody like Freddie could be given the rest of the season. Do you think that's likely that he'll get a, a good solid stint? You know, if it was. The club are going to have to, in this period of time, stick a lot of irons in a lot of fires, right? And talk to a lot of people and see what the interest is in in those people in doing the job at Arsenal. And some of that might be, um, would you be interested in doing this job? And it would be, yes, but I will only take over next summer. Mm. Um, And it depends then if they're prepared to wait for that candidate. So we could see Freddie get longer than than people might think. Or with someone like Arteta, you know, given the situation at Everton, who might themselves be looking for a new manager sooner rather than later. And, and Arteta obviously has um, 
a very deep connection with Everton, they might feel that in order to get their guy, if they want Arteta, they're going to have to get there before Everton do it. So it's a, it's a difficult job. Oh, shit. What was that? I don't know. My phone fell off the table. You're wrecking um, your phone. That means we're getting... <laughs> who are we getting? Who's the greatest manager around? I can't remember. Uh, Ten Hags, the Nagelsmann. I personally think they're out of our reach. Is that um, uh, fair? I don't know. Without Champions League football. Yeah, that's that's a point. That's a point. Um, what about old go on. familiar names like Carlo Ancelotti or something like that? You know, I, I talked about Rafa Benitez during the week yeah. on the blog. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you were going to give somebody the job on a, a short-term basis, Rafa Benitez or, or someone like Carlo Ancelotti, who has you know vast experience, would probably do a decent job until the end of the season, particularly if you're looking to win a European trophy. You know, and Benitez has won the Champions League. He's won the Europa League. Ancelotti's won the Champions League how many times? Three times, four times, you know, um, mm. and given the the increased importance of the Europa League to our season, you could see why that might be a good short, relatively short term appointment until such time as the summer arrives. But then with those guys, do they want a, you know, a six month contract? You know, I don't know. Do you get Ancelotti if you're only offering him six months? I don't know. Well, no, I would say. Um, not when he's already currently in a job as things stand, you know. Mm. Patrick uh, Vieira? Patrick Vieira, I mean, the, I, I would be really interested to see it, I have to say, you know, he has done the job. He has gone and been a manager in America, in France. Nice aren't having the best time in Liga. But when you look at that situation, there are a lot of extenuating circumstances. They've had a crazy situation with their ownership. They've had a lot of problems with players. Um, they had a thing where they had to sack a guy earlier this season because he nicked one of their players' watches. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I think he's been in a very tricky situation there. The work he did in MLS was brilliant and he's Patrick Vieira. Do you know what I mean? Mm. He's Patrick Vieira. And that that does a lot for me. Um, I mean, the trouble is, and it's sort of worth couching all these conversations with this, none, none of us know. I mean, I know I've made a... No, but none of us know how a manager is going to do, do we? Like, you can think, make what seems like a theoretically good appointment and it can be a disaster. And there is just a kind of... There is an element of potluck, isn't there? Like, you hope you get the right guy and it all clicks. Well, yeah, I mean, you obviously have to make a choice, but you're making an informed choice based on information and statistics and data and interviews and suitability and availability and all those things. So it's not like you throw it up in the air and, we're, oh, that guy, okay, no. let's see how he goes. So there is a process that you can go through, um, you know, to, to minimise... The risk, which isn't to say there there isn't a you know there's always a risk, but you minimise that by going through a good process when you're when you're appointing a manager. Sure, um, yeah. don't you don't just give it to Tim Sherwood. I understand that, but <laughs> like I sometimes think people look at what area uh, you know he's at Nice now. People say, well, they're not doing very well, and I'm like, well, you have to try and separate that from the context, and it's very difficult to know how he might do at a different club with a different set of players yeah. in a different situation. That's all I mean. It's just, it's, 
you know, there is a kind of unknowable element to this. I mean, obviously, it's not just random, but... Sure. Well, you know, yeah. in, in as much as Emery was the wrong man at the wrong time for Arsenal, you know, Vieira could be the wrong man at the wrong time for Nice or not quite the right man and could turn out to be the right man at Arsenal. You know, I'm not saying that is the case, but, you know, we have to look at it in in, in those sort of contexts. So, you know, there's all of these names floating about and, you know, at this point it's so fresh we've got no clear idea of, of who it is they want to go for or, or what direction they want to take. Um, I, I didn't notice something within the... Um, within one of the athletic pieces today which mm. said that as recently as the start of this season, Raul Sanyehi had been pushing for a contract extension for Unai Emery. Mm. That doesn't fill me with a great deal of faith in no. in Raul. Um and maybe I it explains maybe it explains why he was, you know, so desperate to hang on to him. Yes, yeah, certainly. Certainly. I mean the only thing I would say is that, you know, when in that situation there were reasons it didn't get over the line, you know, and there are people within the club who were like who could see the context and that it would not have been a good hope that those people are included in the appointment process too um, yeah. but I, I uh, yeah that that is a troubling fact certainly I, it's it's such a fascinating time though I mean yeah because it really feels like it could be anybody and to be honest I know we talked about Freddie but to me it feels like he answers everybody else if they give him a decent spell and I think we could be looking at a, a decent spell. You know, I think they'll only move to replace him if it's not working out. Then then he could put himself in a really strong position. Or if the candidate they want is available right then and there, you know? Yes, sorry, so yeah, If, yeah, if they come across somebody, you know, if Freddie wins his... Yeah, if Freddie wins his five in a row and the candidate they want is there, then I think they make that, that appointment if they don't see Freddie as that guy, you know? Um so, look, it's, you know, it's why they're paid a lot of money to do these jobs, because they're not easy. Um, and they haven't done them as well as they, they should have. Um, just a quick question here, um, because I don't know that there's any other managerial candidates we've we missed out on. I'm sure there'll be some names coming out of left of field that we haven't, mm. we haven't thought about, but... Um, what do you make of the role of the ownership in all of this? Um, because I, yeah. I I harbor some some very serious concerns that uh, their their distance and their willingness to delegate and, and demarcate responsibility to people who they believe to be, you know, good people, the best people, etc., will play will play a bit of a role here. I, I kind of I don't know if they know how hard it's going to be for us to get back into the into the top four. I think they thought we'll spend some money in the summer. Manager will turn it around. Arsenal have always been in the top four. Like what if the next managerial appointment doesn't work out and what if you know it becomes more clear that one of the issues that we have are the people running the football side of this club I mean how in tune do you think they're going to be 
to dealing with that kind of situation? I do think their distance slows things down. That's my main observation about it, that, you know, if they mm. were more plugged in, I think it might have expedited this process. Um, I, I think it's really tricky because it's the whole thing about Cronky, isn't it, that he lets the people in charge do their jobs. And on the one hand, that is kind of what you want from an owner. You don't necessarily want someone interfering expertise on the other hand if those people aren't as competent as they're supposed to be you get problems mm. um so really for me it's more about you know the what we're calling the sort of executive committee uh i'm looking at them now and i'm looking at them to get this right because uh, they it will be their recommendation to the cronkies ultimately yeah. who comes next um and I, th I think, you know, it, it, it's big for them. But I, I, I do wonder, like, how much it's damaged the perception of them, you know, the fact that this Emery saga has been a bit drawn out. I do mm. wonder how much that's hurt them and how, what degree of faith there is in them. Um, yeah. I, I, I just hope when we do appoint somebody that, I mean, I know, you know, we can go through the candidates and you might think this guy's good or I might think that guy's good or we might disagree on this or that. But I hope, as happened with Emery, in fairness, when a new man is appointed or whether it's just, you know, Freddie for the meantime, we've got to get behind that decision. You know, we've really got to because this club is at its best when everyone's pulling in the same direction. And that, you know, that goes for the fans too. So... I'm just looking forward to not having to debate it, you know, game in, game out. For yeah, while. yeah, yeah. You know, I remember saying to you when Emery was appointed, you know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward <laughs> to talking about football, mm, talking mm, about mm. matches and performances and the opposition and tactics and the way that we play, you know, because we'd spent so long with everything, uh, every discussion was um, based around Arsene Wenger and whether he should stay or whether he should go. You know, every single discussion was, are you Wenger in, are you Wenger out, whatever it was. You know, you could not view Arsenal without looking at, looking at it through the prism of, of Wenger's own situation. And now we're right back where we were with him, where we were, and now we've moved on. And I agree with you. I think we have to... I think we... Um, I think we do have to get behind whatever decision that they make. You know, it doesn't mean that we can't be critical or we can't analyse it or if, you know, six or eight months down the line when it's not working, it doesn't mean we can't say this is not working. I mean, I hope that the next appointment that we make is a big success because, you know, I want this football club to win matches again. I want the football to be good again. I want fans to enjoy themselves. I want, you know, going to matches to be an enjoyable experience, working, um, you know, talking about Arsenal should be fun. And it hasn't been for a while. So, you know, I, I'm absolutely... Um, willing to get behind whichever manager they choose. Um, there is no, I don't think there is a universal candidate that everybody wants, you know? Um, but I think whatever candidate they choose, you can have your concerns or you can have your, um, you can have your worries about their suitability or, or whatever else, whether you like their personality, whether you don't think they've got enough experience, whether they don't have enough English, whatever it might be, you kind of have to put that aside for a little while mm. and just sort of let the guy do the job. 
as we did with Emery, and I think people are forgetting that, we did that with Emery, that we were um, prepared, um, you know, to, to give him all the goodwill and positivity that a new manager gets. And in 18 months, you know, we were in a very dark, difficult place. But it wasn't that... Um, people were from the very start saying you know no we won't we won't have any of this so you know yeah we'll wait and see we'll wait and see but I'm excited I'm excited about what's going to come next I'm concerned about you know the people making the decisions but in in terms of the decision that they've made today I think it's the right one and I think it's the only one we could have made for this football club to move forward and hopefully hopefully do something that will salvage our season. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, let's hope so. I mean, is it salvageable? That's my final question, really. Yeah, we had a question on the Discord. I think it was from mm. Daniel Fitzpatrick. Um, can we finish in the top four? Um, I don't know that it we feels, can. I, I'm, I, it doesn't feel especially likely. It, I think with a change, um, but it's still slim odds, isn't it? Yeah. What do we? Uh, six, eight points. I mean, it's do it's doable. It's not impossible, but it would mean it would mean we need to win a lot of games, mm. and some of those other teams up up there to to hit a real blip. I mean, there's a lot of points to play for, mm. a lot of points. Um, and uh, worth bearing in mind that we won't be the only ones pushing. You know, if United and Spurs get their get themselves together, they'll be in the mix as well. Mm. Uh, I had sort of written it off, to be honest. Um, I'm just going to try and take it game by game <laughs> at this stage. Yeah, I think if we'd, if we'd stuck with Emery, absolutely no chance. There's now a slim chance, depending on who we get and how the players respond to them and the job that that person does. Um, I think, yeah, let's get through this Christmas period, do you know what I mean, and see where we are. There's a lot of tough games coming up. Yeah, big time. Big time. Well, nobody said it was going to be easy, and this is Arsenal Football Club where we do as much as possible to make things even less easy for ourselves. Mm. Mm. But we've taken a big step today. The Unai Emery era is over. The Freddie Jumberg era, for however long it's um, part of the annals of history at Arsenal, begins on Sunday against Norwich and we'll be here on Monday mm. to, um, to talk all about it. Hopefully it's a goodly morning. Hopefully it is. I've got a good feeling, guys. All right. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Thank you for listening as ever. We will catch you on the next one. Until then. Bye-bye. holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.